internet friends, and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as ever, we are here to brighten your day, anger your souls, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, how's your return to the world going? Because mine is exhausting yeah. more than it is anything else. You know, I feel pretty fortunate, I guess is the right word, in that my day-to-day work routine never really stopped. There was just a good six-week, five-week stretch where I was the only one going into an office and there was no actual work to do and I binged Peaky Blinders. Um, But I still, like, every day went into an office and eventually, you know, would go out and do remote video work and and all this sort of stuff and so i feel like i've had less of a shock back into the system than most people but i i'll tell you this i was working a funeral the other day um and this was a a funeral for somebody who was pretty well off it took place in a racket club which is all you really need to know what the fuck yeah, um, it, it was a funeral for the wife of somebody who owned a cremation business. So we're, we're talking about death money here. <laughs> All right, death um, money. And there was easily, easily 150 people crammed into a a four-room, nice racket club dining area thing so like picture picture a a average sized restaurant and that's the kind of size and and i was sitting there just being like okay i'm wearing a mask none of these people are wearing a mask presumably most of these people got vaccinated i've been vaccinated this is still fucking weird like Mm. even three months ago i would have been having a panic attack in this same exact situation (sighs) So, you know, I I also continue to go into an office, but it's weird because like even in that office, even though I like even though my office has been more or less functioning at its own capacity for a minute now, uh as far as the people who work there are concerned, and even though my office has reopened to the public but are still requiring that anyone who comes be wearing a mask and we provide masks and yeah. sanitizer and we're not taking anyone into the office. We do everything through teller windows now. Like, even though that's the case, like, I went to my first party since things have kind of somewhat reopened. Sure. Um, I had some friends who had a birthday party and everyone they invited, you know, they told us everyone is vaccinated and most people and like they had a big backyard so people could space out if they wanted to and all of this. But even beyond like the covid panic stuff, like Stephanie and I showed up at this party and our friends are lovely people, but they have a number of friends who are not people we know. So every time I was standing in a circle with someone I didn't know And they were, like, trying to make small talk with me or get to know me. Perfectly nice, ordinary people. I'm sitting here in my mind just going, like, this is the most excruciating experience of my entire life. I would literally rather have a root canal right now than pretend to care about where you work. 
generic white person. I will say, I don't think... No, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of parties. I can't say I haven't been. I was just so ready to not have to do another friggin' Zoom call. Um, another... Like, those got hard for me after a while. Is just the... Um, the the group dynamic and the five different microphones and people are talking over other people and you you're staring like at best you're staring at everybody on a TV but no I'm I'm done with the group Zoom calls I prefer mine to be at least a just two way communication so I was so thankful that those were gone um, that I I embraced small group parties. Uh, kind of with open arms, um, you know. You just it's, you've got me thinking here, real quick. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but I did. Somebody brought up the point that like the world experienced a, a, a great trauma, and then especially in the U.S., we were kind of slammed back into, "Hey, pretend there's no more trauma. Pretend everything is back to normal and everything as it was." And that's not how the human brain works. Once you introduce trauma, it kind of stays there. Well, it's not how the human brain works, but also half of the half of the country, you know, pretended there wasn't much trauma to begin with. Right. So, you know, I the image that stays in my head and to be fair, it's a it's a mental image that was that I read. But after, like, literally the day that the CDC gave the, you know, okay to not wear masks if you're vaccinated, um, there was a White House reporter who, or, or I guess um, a Capitol Hill reporter, who essentially wrote up that as Mitch McConnell was leaving a session following that news, he took off his mask as he was walking down the hallway. Right, I recall this. And yeah. And said, free at last. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't know why that haunts me. Oh, Alex. You but mean, it haunts me, Andy. You mean the idea that Mitch McConnell perverted, Mitch McConnell of all fucking people, perverted a, a famous Martin Luther King saying and equated it to not having to wear something that was literally saving his life. Um, that that You can't figure out why that doesn't sit well with you? It's not that it doesn't sit well. I just can't figure out why I can't stop thinking about it, Andy. <laughs> but, like, I uh, that lingers for me, and that just reminds me that, you know, I've got... I, I, there's, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. A lot of them are on my Facebook feed. Um, who just like to pretend that this wasn't a thing, that this wasn't that big of a deal. And that's, you know, that's so hard for me to cotton with because, like, I literally lost a friend to this. Right. I, and, and you know, it it really was the thing where it's the group project where, you know, one or two people do everything and everyone else just goes like, yeah, it's no big deal. And just filters onward and well tell me if this is an obscene metaphor but we just had a an aids crisis you know like the 80s aids crisis we just kind of had but it was everybody and the same people who pretended the aids crisis never happened pretend this never happened and yeah just kind of 
breaks your brain in half if, if you are the kind of person who is like, no, this this happened. I can count multiple people I know who passed away. I have been well aware of the fact that the average American can't be bothered for a lot of things. It's, you know, it's why I sit at certain dinner tables and have to sit there and be flabbergasted when people whose opinions I'm supposed to respect tell me, well, why do you care about Palestine so much? That's all the way over there. Like, Americans like to not care about anything that makes them feel bad for too long. Yes, including our own history. Especially our own history. Especially our own history, and especially just, you know, anything that's just kind of uncomfy. We like we like to be comfortable as a people. And that makes it really, really weird for someone like me, and I think like you, although you're far more social than I am, um, just preternaturally. Um, but that's that's a very awkward thing for someone like me who is very uncomfortable sitting in the face of hypocrisy, injustice, ignorance, and a house full of people I don't know. Because, Andy, I don't think I like parties anymore. <laughs> That's... <laughs> uh, should we start the show? Yeah, and you know what? Uh, welcome to Love Hate Relationship. If you're still with us, <laughs> God bless you. Mm. Um, we, we got out a lot of the angsty shit over with early this time, though I don't think we're entirely done with it. Um, not a chance in hell. But, you know, when we're not uh, just crying into our beers, we uh, we talk about something we love, we talk about something we hate, and then we take yours and the Internet's relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. And this week, That's right. I've got the love. You do. And um, uh, we we talked about this a little bit before the show. This is one where we're definitely going to need to give a decent amount of background because this is one of those occasions we dabble into um, the comic book nerddom. Indeed. So, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to let you take point on this. So. Yeah, there's, there, Please. There, there will be a lot of explanation and then a little bit of what I like and love about this character. This character being Laura Kinney, a.k.a. X-23, a.k.a. Wolverine from Marvel Comics and the X-Men property. Alex, did you realize that despite both of us being self-proclaimed giant X-nerds and loving it enough to do a coveted triple love special with the brilliant Matt Calder, no less, who I think is the last guest we had on the show... Uh, shout out to matt we love you um you know we've barely talked about marvel's merry mutants in over half of the lifetime of this podcast this is episode 71 we did the x-men on episode 35 that is (laughs) unacceptable to me (laughs) so with that in mind i i wanted to take my love this week and i wanted to do a deep dive into a specific character and highlight one of my favorites the arguably better of the two characters who are called Wolverine. All right. I am here for that. You know, we keep, we have referenced. We have. X-Men. Like, we just did a whole episode on Patrick Stewart. Like, 
two episodes ago we and we were like, oh, the the objectively only kind of good Charles Xavier. That's fair. That's very fair. Indeed. We've we've referenced, we've dabbled. I'm, I'm bringing it back up as a, a capital L love. All right, hit me. Laura Kinney. Laura Kinney. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about the character or are particularly into comics but are still with us, hello, Mrs. Ruiz. I love you. Mm. (laughs) Emma. Um, You can skip ahead if you need to. Uh, Just a, a, a history of the character. Laura Kinney was created by Craig Kyle as part of the X Men Evolution cartoon. Um, which was right at the tail end of my Saturday morning cartoon days. You know, it was it was a, a rebooted X-Men cartoon that involved half of the cast being teenagers. Um, and yep. she debuted in this TV show as a female clone of Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, a.k.a. the single most prominent comic book character of all time that isn't Batman. I think it's safe to say. If you don't know who Wolverine is, he's the one with the big knives coming out of his hands and the yellow and blue costume. And I I don't think I could get any more succinct than that one. (laughs) He is short. He is angry. He is played by Hugh Jackman in the live action movies. He is marketable. Uh, Yeah. Um... You know, and and so so she was created as a clone of Wolverine, and and I remember seeing like the commercial trailer for this. The it's it's burned into my brain where this this young girl is fighting people, and she pops out her own claws, and Logan goes, "A child," and she like does this spinning jump kick, and then another knife claw shoots out, and of her that foot. claw comes out of her toe. Yes, yes. Goes, I was wondering if you were going to reference that. Not a child and slices a motorcycle in half or some shit. <laughs> no one should have to go through that, especially a child. I am not a child! So very effective oh, okay. instantly. It's burned into my brain and, and I'm sure a lot of other people my age's brain who watched that cartoon. Um, just as a, a, a as another thing, anybody who's seen the, uh, the movie Logan, which was the final Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie, you know, she was also portrayed brilliantly by Daphne Keene in Logan. So that, that is the character we are talking about. Yep. Laura was brought into comic books as opposed to just a comic book adjacent cartoon um, in 2004 by Joe Casada, who wrote a limited series called NYX, which focused on a group of homeless mutants living in New York. And this was regarded as a really brilliant move because the character had already started becoming incredibly popular and was hyped up in the comic zeitgeist, which I would posit to you makes her the Marvel version of Harley Quinn. Uh, it's a similar setup. Um, Harley Quinn, also famously created by uh, Paul Dini and uh, Bruce Timm, and was so pop for Batman the Animated for the Series. Cartoon, yeah. And was exactly and was so big that they just put her into the comics, and she is basically DC's Deadpool um, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. So, but yeah, so yeah, very, very similar trajectory character created for TV and then moved over. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's how she was introduced in back in 2004. And, and ever since then, you know, Laura has, 
uh, grown as a character and, and slowly but surely over, gosh, what would it be like 17 years? That sounds right. Yes, has, 17 years. It, yeah, has enjoyed a larger and larger spotlight in comic books and the hearts of fans growing from a one-note character into a, something that is arguably as popular in the modern day as her progenitor. Um, and even at one point becoming the all-new Wolverine in 2015 when Logan was suffering from a case of dead. Wasn't the first time, won't be the last, exactly. but Exactly. Yeah. So, so that is who we're talking about. You know, she is, she is the female Wolverine, but she is also so much more than just girl Wolverine. Um, you know, and, and so, so, um, I, I just want to, I just want to cut in here because, because I love, I do love Laura Kinney as a character. I also remember that, uh, X-Men evolution commercial for that episode. And that's, and that is a great episode of that cartoon. I think she appears in like one or two more, but that's really like the episode. Um, and, and I'd argue if there's anyone out there who like, um, like me, feel that Logan Wolverine is a bit of a one-note character in his own right. Watching X-Men Evolution is actually a really wonderful take on that character. Um, the thing I always remember from that episode was, like, Laura is trying to kill Logan that entire episode. And he is, like, defensively, like, blocking all of her moves and trying to tell her, like... You don't need to do this. I want to help you. And there's one point where, like, he blocks some, like, really lethal shot of hers. And he's just like, I'm probably the closest thing you have to family. And, like, there's something about the delivery of that line that always hit with me. You might be able to find it on YouTube. Um, Andy, if you can find it on YouTube, drop it right here. But... I'm the one person on this planet who understands you. And maybe the closest thing you have to family. When I think of Laura Kinney, and, you know, you mentioned Casada bringing her into the comics, but my introduction to her as a comic character, uh, and I know you um, briefly touch on this run, is uh, Marjorie Liu's uh, short run mm -hmm. for X-23, X which functions right. as an origin story. And that story... Uh, <sighs> To put it in brief, it is basically the story, it, it's more a story of Laura's adopted mother, who is the scientist that does the cloning, and her effectively raising what was supposed to be her science experiment into the being that she is and infusing humanity into her when she was effectively designed to be a killing machine. And it deals with things like teenage self-harm and depression. And there's a little bit where Laura's kind of human trafficked. Um, it is a very hard story. Um, I will tell you, anyone who's interested in maybe picking it up, I recommend it if some of those topics, if you're okay with some of those topics um, or can handle those things. But that's still one of my favorite just like short run books is Marjorie Liu's X-23 series and that origin story for Laura. And that's kind of where she exists in the comics in my head. I have not read All-New Wolverine, although I've read a lot of reviews about it. And I've read some other books that that character appears in. And they are fucking excellent. 
and yeah, you, you touched on it. So we, we kind of talked about who Laura Kinney is from a like real life history perspective, how she, how was she, how she was created. Um, but like in the history of the character, it's important for people to understand that she was this clone grown up and, and made in a lab by weapon X, which is the nebulous government society that is, you know, always messing with Wolverine and trying to create superhuman soldiers. And she was by and large, a really successful science experiment to create a child assassin. You know, she has the exact same powers as Wolverine, the healing, the knife claws, the uh, enhanced senses, and was programmed, conditioned, literally like chemically altered so that if she smelled a specific thing called a trigger scent, it would send her into this insane berserker rage where she just kills Mm -hmm. everything. And she's good at killing. Um, and she's amazing at killing. She is this tiny little acrobat ball of death ninja that just, you know, goes through anything like a hot knife through butter. Um, and, and for the longest time dealing with that and the fallout of that was her primary character trait, you know, to, to tie this into starting to talk about why I love her. I think we have talked so much about legacy in comic books and talked about like, we are very pro, um, legacy characters and very against like just rebooting and telling the same stories with the same people over and over and over again. You know, I, I kind of alluded to it with the, the Harley Quinn comment. I would say Laura Kinney is probably one of the most successful legacy characters that has ever come out of comics. The only one that I would say nowadays is uh, probably higher profile is Miles Morales Spider-Man. Yeah, um, because that just completely made Peter Parker redundant. And if you have not seen Into the Spider-Verse, do yourself a favor and get Straight on up. that shit. Um, so Laura started as this kind of one note character, like in her in, in her first appearances, she is this this poor child who is like experimented on and and totally psychologically abused she's got one person the scientist who created her her surrogate mother figure who like she loves and and who loves her and by the end of that story spoilers um she is given the trigger scent and then straight up murders her mother Mm -hmm. figure X-23 is one of the darkest, most depressing characters, and it takes literal years in comics for her to start to process and deal and grow from that trauma. And so she starts as this surly, aggressive, anti-social, homeless mute who is, you know, practically more animal than man. And eventually Wolverine like finds her and takes her in and, and tries to introduce her to the X-Men. And she, you know, is, is completely unsociable and runs away. And then they try it again. And that time it sticks. I'm going to go to my talking points for the first six years of her existence. 
Laura Kinney was almost exclusively written by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost over several different comic books. So they were able to like bit by bit, run by run, like create this arc and this narrative story, which I think is, is to great effect. You know, she's one of the primary characters in one of my favorite X-Men comics, which is the, uh, Kyle and Yost Academy X run of new X-Men. And you see so much of her growth as she like learns to make friends with other people and gets a crush on a guy. And then that that guy's a douchebag and she has to like learn how to process pain and, and human emotion and eventually is successful. And it, if you are willing to follow this character through all the different runs, through all the different books, bit by bit, you, you watch this person grow. And that is so unique in comic books, I feel like. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, 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 watch her, you watch her go from antisocial, severely damaged person... And you have Kyle and Yost write her before handing her off to other, uh, to be fair, objectively brilliant writers like Brian Michael Bendis, Marjorie Liu, who you mentioned, Tom Taylor. You know, part of the part of the thing. Side note is Laura has been kind of blessed in comic books where mostly good writers have worked on yeah. the character. I, I'm gonna say up front. So like, an interesting thing about the fact that. Um, Laura was only introduced into the comics in 2004. Um, so I just Googled, like, X-23 reading order. Um, and I found a couple of lists of just stuff you can read to kind of understand Laura as a character. And the thing of it is, it's not... It's, it's recent enough that you can really get a good understanding of the character with 10 or 15 volumes. Like, and mostly stuff that's available on, like, Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, like, I'm reading through this. The longest one of these lists, I've just clicked through a few, is, like, 30 books. And even then, I'm glancing through it, and I'm like, you don't need to read Apocalypse Wars. You don't need to read this Venom crossover uh no yeah <laughs> yeah uh you should probably read messiah complex like it's, it's just it's just little things here and there but like you if okay i've said before i'm someone who reads books um who, who follows writers primarily when it comes to comics but but i always sure. understand people who want to follow a character i get that i i absolutely get that if Wolverine, as in Logan, is the character that you want to follow, good fucking luck. Because he's been around since the late 70s, I think. Not just in X-Men books. Like, he got spun off into a solo series, and then multiple solo series, and then became an Avenger. Like, there's so much Logan there's too much Logan. In the 90s, there was way too much Logan. They were trying to cram Wolverine into any book they could just to try and make it sell better. But if you want to re- follow a character solidly and a really good and interesting dynamic character with a lot of great stories, you could do worse 
than pulling up a reading list of Laura Kinney and checking out, you know, the 10 or 15 most important volumes of the five or six books that feature her really, really prominently. And I think that's a such a treat, such a such a rare treat. I mean, even even Harley Quinn has got easily 10 more years of comic books stacked on top. And, and, you know, Logan is such an interesting point. A lot of the original X-Men, you almost have to like just pick a moment where somebody tells you, oh, yeah, here's a good reboot point and go from there unless you really are committed to like knowing a character in and out. And and so yeah, you can do that with X twenty three. You can read Academy X, which is it serves really well as her like introduction, aside from her actual origin story, and diverge really easily into um, the Kyle and Yost run of X Force, which is really good. Go into her solo series, and then go right into all new Wolverine, and you'll basically have like this this fully fledged path where every new book you read, she becomes a little more of a fully fledged, complex, fully formed person who has her own feelings and grows beyond the trauma that made her. And eventually if you go in far enough becomes like so much more than just a teenage sidekick ish character, but becomes this young woman, fully fledged superhero on her own and gets a sidekick and, and, and has her own like shit to work out. And then because of the nature of comics, like there's a stumbling block where she stops going by Wolverine and becomes X 23 again. And you probably, probably skip the latest fallen angels run. If, if that makes sense to anybody, Um, But then go back into the Jonathan Hickman X-Men run and she's Wolverine again. And it's like, we never change (laughs) my, (laughs) my, my, my last point I want to talk about the last thing I had written down, at least I would argue that Laura Kinney embodies all of, or at least most of Logan's main themes Am I a, am I a person or am I an animal, a monster, a killer, a a tool that causes nothing but death and destruction? Uh, you know, I, I more than the government experimented on me, the government created me and all the trauma that comes with that, you know, how do I be a person and be this, this death dealing person? How do I be a superhero and be an assassin? All of these things I would argue Laura embodies as well, if not better than Logan. And, you know, has even, like I said, surpassed him as a mentor figure with the introduction of her own clone. So a clone of a clone, uh, 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 Anna Marishka doll of clones um, with the introduction of Gabby Kinney and all new Wolverine, who is just this amazing, delightful chaos demon of a character. Her friggin' code name is honey badger. That's all you need to know. Um, who became this perfect surrogate little sister slash sidekick figure. And like we, there are a lot of Wolverine yeah. spinoffs there. There is an overwhelming number of characters who are basically Wolverine, but they're not Wolverine. Um, you know, you've got Deken, who is his biological son, James Howlett, who is his biological son from another timeline, old man, Logan, who is 
old man Logan. You've got so many Wolverine light characters. And I would completely argue that Laura is the most memorable and enjoyable to follow and absolutely deserves all of the praise and limelight and legacy bestowed upon her. There, There's a, a panel in one of the most recent runs of X-Men. And Cyclops is divvying up people and he's like sending his troops into battle. And there's a moment where he turns to her and he says, X-23, I need you to do this. And she goes, no, I'm Wolverine. And Logan is in the background chuckling and smiling and going, yeah, you tell him because he fucking gets it. I mean, yeah. I, when we talked about Superman, which was your hate, um, that <laughs> I shared, <laughs> um, we ended that with a pitch where we said Superboy, Connor Kent, should have at some point years ago and still continuously now have taken over the mantle of Superman. Clark should have been killed in some decently as satisfying as possible way. And Connor should have taken up the mantle. That is how you should be continuing these characters. And the parallels between Connor Kent and Clark Kent and Laura Kinney and Logan are pretty yeah. clear. Clone, designed as a weapon, thought lesser for a lot of reasons. Um, not all of them fair. Uh, most of them unfair, actually. And at the end of the day, an infinitely more interesting character. Laura got to do it. Yeah. Though. And currently, at least, I, I see, I'm pessimistic enough. She's not going to get to keep it. She's not going to get to stay Wolverine permanently, even though she should, even though she is a more interesting Wolverine, even though there's no reason that Logan can't ex continue to exist how he's existing right now, where he's old man Logan and, you know, whatever the fuck. It's stupid, but fine. Um, but it's... It is gratifying to see some attempt at that kind of thing happening. And I want to think that that kind of thing happens, because, you know, you and I are both Green Lantern fans. We have seen the mantle of Green yeah. Lantern pass just in our time and even before our time. Alan Scott is not who people think of as Green Lantern, first and foremost. Jay Garrick is not who people think of as Flash, first and foremost. We've seen these shifts. Just for whatever reason, they're not sticking now, um, even though even though they really should. I want to see Laura continue to be Wolverine. I think Laura's... I've never thought Wolverine was the most interesting X-Men character. Even back in the old cartoon, like, I was, I thought Gambit was way cooler than Wolverine. Where is the challenge to this still-proud Master Thief? Um, you oh, watch X-Men Evolution, that's the best depiction of Wolverine, I think. And that is a Wolverine who spends most storylines as a supporting character. And when he's not a supporting character, he's at least not the same piece of shit that <laughs> he is in a lot of other stories. So, yeah, I I appreciate you bringing, like, I think this is the first time we specifically talked about a comic book character, right? 
I think so. Not not necessarily a run, although Tom Taylor's All New Wolverine is singularly fantastic, and I've already gushed about and anything Kyle and uh, Kyle and Yost wrote is by and large really good but yeah this is the first time it, we're not talking about the writer we're not talking about the run we're talking about the yeah. character and it's you know it's a case where a lot of people have seen wolverine again like does wolverine pass the my parents test no absolutely not but i guarantee you wolverine might for some parents though more than just about any other well here's the thing i guarantee you i could show i could probably show my parents a picture of hugh jackman and they'd probably know who he is i could probably show them a picture from like the old 90s cartoon and my sister and i both watched that cartoon um and they'd probably be like oh yeah that's one of those superhero characters that you know alex and steph liked so much like they get that probably aren't gonna get that with laura But, in emphasis here, we have a character who is supplanting the mantle of what is considered a very iconic character. And she's a woman who we have seen age in the comics from an abused teenager, a sex worker, a... Oh, we haven't mentioned this. She's half Asian. You know, she yeah. was cloned from an X chromosome of Logan's and the other chromosome came from Sarah Kinney, uh, the scientist who was her surrogate mother um, and literally carried her. And Sarah Kinney is portrayed and drawn as clearly being of some form of Asian descent. So... Mm-hmm. Laura Kinney is at least is at least at least biracial um if not she might she might be a quarter asian they never really go into Sarah Kinney's background but Sarah Kinney I don't know if Kinney is a asian name of all, a, at all but at the very least Sarah Kinney is visually asian Laura is typically drawn as visually asian her portrayal in Logan she is uh hispanic yeah. Which, you know, we're not going to sit here too deeply in the politics of, you know, changing ethnicities. But the point is, if we're talking about the comic character, she is a woman of color who has who is a former sex worker, admittedly, though, a trafficked one, who has overcome so much trauma into being a really interesting dynamic character who is not defined by her trauma the way Logan fucking is but just is a dynamic individual person unto herself. And that deserves celebration. Wherever you can find it. Absolutely, man. So thank you. Thank you for talking about Laura Kinney. Um, are you okay if I drag us down to the depths now? Oh, absolutely. You told me what our hate topic was, and my response was something akin to, oh, excellent. I've been meaning to get to this one. <laughs> As I was self-conscious about this because we did just talk about a comedian, but for whatever reason, it was oh. the thing that stuck in my head. Joe Rogan is not a fucking comedian by any stretch. <laughs> we'll talk. All right. Very. Uh, Andy just, you know, said it. Uh, my hate topic for this episode is um, the, you know, somewhat notorious Joe Rogan. Um, Andy, very simple question to start, dear boy. What do you best know Joe Rogan from, and what is your instinctive opinion of him? 
So we didn't watch a lot of reality TV in my house growing up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a bit of Survivor and got caught up in the hype of the first couple seasons of Survivor. Um, a lot of Entertainment Tonight, which isn't reality TV. But one no. of the few shows that I did watch a decent amount of was Fear Factor. Okay. And so I watch Fear Factor and I, I enjoy the tongue in cheek host in a, in a spike TV kind of way. Mm. And then Fear Factor goes away and I forget all about it. And then I start hearing about Joe Rogan and I'm like, isn't that the Fear Factor guy? And I look into why am I hearing about Joe Rogan and hearing that he has this freaking awful pseudo conservative leaning podcast and is just the modern day perfect embodiment of all that is wrong with toxic dude bro culture. And I'm sitting here like, this is the fucking fear factor guy. Mm-hmm. What? So that is my succinctest answer is Joe Rogan was the fear factor guy who spawned into something worse fascinating because i i mostly i never watched fear factor but i do remember the Chappelle show episode where tyrone biggums competes on fear factor and i remember joe rogan in that and just being like uh there's a lot of ways this hasn't aged well he he lost all of his hair and at the same time his decency as a human being in this sort of samson-esque parallel Samson. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, thank you, dear boy. I appreciate that. That's a that's a good like baseline intro. Um, let me see where I can go from there. Um, basic background: Joseph James Rogan is, and he is doing this, Andy, an American stand-up comic, UFC commentator, podcaster, and former actor and game show host. Host of Fear Factor. Um, born in Newark, New Jersey in 1967, his parents separated when he was only five and he hasn't had contact with his father, a former police officer and domestic abuser since he was seven. His family bounced between Jersey, California, Florida, and eventually Massachusetts, where he would eventually graduate high school and drop out of college. He attended the University of Massachusetts before dropping out. Um... Most of his um, life, he has been an avid martial arts fan and actually seriously considered a career in kickboxing uh, before trying out stand-up comedy at the behest of some of his friends at the gym that he went to. Um, Real quick, fuck those guys. (laughs) Apparently... Apparently, a bunch of the people he did, like, Taekwondo with were like, you're really funny. Like, you're... He would just keep them all laughing as they were training, and they were like, you should try stand-up. And he, you know, wrote five minutes and went up at the improv and did okay enough to, you know, keep at it a little bit. Well, that's all well and good, but I I wish he had just stayed the funny locker room guy, and then he could have gotten kicked in the head a few more times, and... A lot of bad things in the world would be ever so slightly less bad. You know, what's funny is he did apparently, um, he he quit competitive martial arts when he was in his early 20s because he was like, I'm starting to get headaches and be dizzy all the time. 
I don't think this is good for me. I should stop this. Doesn't look good, coach. Can he play? He's in a coma. Answer my question. Can he play? I don't even think he can breathe. We got to get him to a hospital immediately. I never thought I would be against CTE. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um... <laughs> Jesus Christ. In the late 80s, he started seriously pursuing stand-up. He moved to New York uh, to pursue that and acting full-time. Um, he actually did get pretty decent roles in the 90s. He was on Hardball and on News Radio. Um, and then in 97, he started color commentating for the UFC. He started hosting Fear Factor in 2001 and both of those things together increased his profile like on a huge national level and helped make the comedy specials and tours that he was simultaneously putting out huge successes. Mm. In 2009, he began the podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, uh, then with co-host uh, Brian Redman. Um, the format largely being inspired by like the conversational style of the Opie and Anthony show. Um, have you ever listened to an episode of the Joe Rogan experience, Andy? I have not. I will say I, I am hating without trying it. Okay. I have listened to a few, um, cause he's had guests that I've liked and I have like, I, I, I didn't always know how shitty it was. Um, and I was just like, okay, that's fine. It's, he's doing an interview with Mark Marin. He's doing an interview with, um, Chris Bell and Matt Bell. I was doing an interview with just people, Maynard Keynes, um, people I like. So I'll just go ahead and listen to it. Sure. Um, so the format of the show is um, basically Rogan, often, often with one or a few of his comedian friends, although by no means always. Um, sometimes it is just him and a guest. Um, essentially having long-form bullshitting sessions with guests, ranging from stand-ups to athletes to actors to politicians to musicians and all manner of public figures. Um, sometimes it's like an hour and a half and he's just having a sit-down with whomever. Um, there are some episodes of this podcast that are like four or five hours long. Because it's just, it's just in a studio that I believe is at his house. And it's just however much time both him and the guest have, and they just allot it, and they just talk sure. for however long the conversation's interesting. Uh, it averages over 16 million downloads a month and is one of the most successful podcasts out there right now. Man, just real, real quick side note, like, God, that was the time. Um you know, because because I immediately saw that in your notes and remembered that the McElroys um, started My Brother, My Brother and Me in 2010. And I mean, now they have arguably equally large podcasting media empires. And I mean, hindsight 2020, I was I was a junior in high school, so it's not, it's not like I was actually going to do anything about it. But that that was the moment <laughs> if you were going to start to make podcasting really be the, the thing for you. Listen, we have a handful of listeners who are like them. under. Well, I was going to say who are um, in a younger demographic than us. 
And, like, y'all know that podcasts were named after iPods, right? Like, the idea was it was a broadcast you could download to your iPod, and iPod's like an iPhone, but it doesn't have a phone feature. You just download music and shit to it. Like, Alex, I gotta be honest, I didn't even know that. <laughs> you didn't know podcasts were named after iPods? I never questioned it. I was like, Jesus oh, fucking Christ, Andrew! This is what we call the thing? Okay. <laughs> oh, God. God, now I remember that you're younger than me. Disgusting. <laughs> Ugh. 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 So, why so do you why hate, I Joe, hate Rogan? Joe Rogan? <laughs> talking about Rogan, um, I feel a lot like how I did when I was talking about new atheists. Um, not just because he called, considers himself an agnostic, um, but... If I were to sit down and have a conversation with Joe Rogan that didn't amount to me calling him an asshole and screaming, um, we would legitimately find a lot of common ground. We, we would. He supports a ton of things that I do, including drug legalization, gun rights, how good the music of Tool is, how important it is to do put deadlifts in your lifting routine. Um, that circumcision is an abomination. There, there's a lot of shit that we agree on, legitimately. I'll give him that. However, he represents a certain libertarian-minded, late 20th century style of comedy and thinking where shock value, pointless offensiveness, and casual cruelty are to be celebrated. They're right. they're the best thing you can possibly do. It's that shitty, shitty edgelord, I'm just asking questions, why are you so sensitive? They're just jokes, lot kind of, of outdated against, horseshit. A lot of arguing against political correctness, yep. Yeah. Um, by the way, for any of you who don't know, political correctness is uh, a term that was developed by the right in order to um, have a rallying cry to shit on uh, people of the center left and actual left um, trying to shift the culture towards basic human dignity for people who aren't straight white men. Um, yeah. Rogan is a transphobe, repeatedly arguing against the inclusion of trans athletes in sports. He's an Islamophobe. He is someone who rails against a weird straw man definition of feminism. He's a low-key anti-vaxxer, and he's an apologist for his predatory friends, like frequent collaborator Joey Diaz, um, who is a regular fixture on his show. He's one of the comedians who will regularly appeal, uh, appear on the show with uh, him to with interview whoever the people are. Uh, if you don't know who Joey Diaz is, he is an L.A.-based stand-up comedian who has admitted multiple times to coercing female comedians who attend the very influential comedy show that he hosts to offer him oral sex for stage time. Fool this man! And Rogan just has him on a show, has never commented on it, has actually kind of joked about it with him when he has admitted to it on the show multiple times. It's a running joke on the show. Um, yeah. Um, 
Rogan argues that things like political correctness and quote-unquote cancel culture, cancel culture are huge societal ills, and titles his comedy specials things like Triggered and Shiny Happy Jihad. Because it pisses off kind people. Um, and maybe the most infuriating of all is that with all of his success, and something to keep in mind through this, is that Rogan has been successful since the 90s. News radio was a huge show. Yeah. He openly admitted that with the money he got from doing TV, he he quit doing TV and acting because he was making so much money that he was being lazy about working on his stand-up. Like, he's admitted this. He's like, I got comfortable, and so I was getting lazy, and I wasn't writing enough stand-up and working hard enough on my stand-up. Keep that in mind. He's got money. He's had money. He's been successful for a very long time. With all of this success, he platforms some of the worst fucking people in the world. His podcast prides itself on featuring really diverse ranges of guests, which is admittedly true. I'll give him that. I don't know many other people. Maybe Oprah. Maybe. Um, who might feature Bernie Sanders, NASCAR driver Danica Patrick, magician David Blaine, author Chuck Palahniuk, and singer and director Rob Zombie on any given week. That That is not a weird lineup for a week of the Joe Rogan podcast. But he also features Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, and fucking Jordan Peterson. And if they don't say some shit that directly offends his, as I said, very outdated libertarian sensibilities, he'll take them at their damn word without fucking question. Yeah, and that I didn't want to jump on any of your points because like, I, I, I feel like I've come across as extra vitriolic um this this time and it's for all the same exact reasons the fact of the matter is is like joe rogan to me is almost more insidious than alex jones alex really? jones Please. Is a, well alex jones is a fucking dangerous person alex jones mm. is a straight up evil grifting psychotic asshole who wants to sell your mm -hmm. grandparents fluoride and gold and stuff that will get them killed and is just an absolute crazy person. And I think a lot of people recognize him for that. Like he's got his own devoted following of people who believe him and, and follow all of his Trump, Based conspiracy theory bullshit but then there are so many more people who are like no alex jones is fucking hilarious and terrifying at the same time and he is an idiot and an asshole and so many of those people i guarantee you or go but joe rogan's cool man joe rogan says it like it is and you for, know go ahead Go ahead. No, please go ahead. Finish for, your point. For, for Rogan to use his platform 
as a a way to have on these Alex Joneses and Jordan Petersons, these people who are actually great menaces to society, at least in my opinion. Um, if for no other reason than so that Joe Rogan can say that, oh, he gives everybody a, a fair shake and and he's not uh, the brainwashed liberal left like the rest of Hollywood. He's awesome. He, he, he walks his own path. Uh, I don't need someone to be walking their own fucking path when they give fascism and racism and Nazism and Islamophobia and homophobia and transphobia any air in the room to breathe. We don't need it. And the man is charismatic and popular and this close, so close to being someone who ideologically, I was like, you know what? You, you're fucking cool, Joe Rogan. But that, that little difference that keeps him from being this close is some deviously bad shit. That is a portal a gateway for people to experience even worse things. Yeah. I, this is a lot like when I was talking about Dave Ramsey, because I thought my whole point with Dave Ramsey was like, Dave Ramsey is dangerous because he, because people who aren't your average Fox news watcher, listen to and read his shit. Joe Rogan is dangerous because like I have had people who as far as I've ever understood are perfectly rational human beings unironically say how much they love his show and never miss an episode of it. And again, I'm sitting here like, okay, when he's interviewing the lead singer of tool, Cool. Fucking yeah, I love that. When he's interviewing, you know, a comedian, Hannibal Burris. Um, I I watched uh I remember watching years ago a Joe Rogan podcast interview with Hannibal Burris, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is just you know, because they talked comedy and they talked some really interesting subjects. Andy, the very first episode of this podcast, I referenced a Joe Rogan episode that I watched where he talked to Mark Marin. Sure. And yeah. Mark Marin was telling stories about Sam Kinison. Like, that was the first episode of this podcast. And I've never followed his show regularly, but I listened to it off and on with kind of like the WTF podcast with Mark Marin. If there was a person that I, or, or the Tim Ferriss podcast. If they, they interview different people every episode, and if there was a person that I was interested in, I would listen to it. And when he had on Milo, when he had on fucking Ben Shapiro, um, when he when he would have on these figures, I got really uncomfortable. And I was already a little uncomfortable because I, I can even remember I don't even remember how it came up, but I remember an interview he did with um comedian Jamie Kilstein, who uh, this was before the allegations for Jamie Kilstein came out. So before we knew he was a piece of shit. Mm. Um, But I remember an interview he did with Jamie Kilstein where somehow they got on the topic of is rape or murder worse? 
which one is a worse crime. And Joe, it was real important to Joe Rogan to convince Jamie Kilstein that murder is a worse crime than rape. I don't know why. I still don't know why. I don't like either of these two of those two motherfuckers. And I don't know why I still think about that conversation. Like every few months. Like, why was it so important for Joe Rogan to tell Jamie Kilstein that murder is worse than rape? And like get him to believe it. Why was that so fucking important to him? Um I just this is a person who gets so much credit. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with the story, Andy. There was a petition during the 2020 election. Um, Rogan apparently said on a show, um, kind of half jokingly, like, I would totally, I would offer to moderate a debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Right. Um, and there was a serious petition that got a lot of traction to get Joe Rogan to moderate that debate because people argued that Joe Rogan is completely nonpartisan. And, and, and the you thing know, is, yeah, he fucking is, but well, and, well, and that's the thing because number one, Joe, Joe Rogan is not above criticizing Donald Trump. I'll say that, but he was also someone who was very like, People just hate Donald Trump on a knee-jerk reaction because they just hate him, so everything he does is terrible. Right. He also has insulted Joe Biden constantly, regularly talking about how Joe Biden is just mentally unwell and, like, losing it because he's so old. Never mind that he's only, like, a few years older than Trump. And at the end of the day, Joe Rogan voted for Joe Jorgensen. In the 2020 election, he voted for the libertarian candidate. He admitted this on election night. What the flying fuck? The most simple thing to assign it to is Joe Rogan is an egotist. And I think that really boils down what I hate about him. The man talks about uh, being in favor of recreational drug use and going a step farther. He he is really into the idea of using LSD and mushrooms and DNT to explore consciousness. And there is a movement right now for psychotropic drugs to be used in um, as as medicines in certain ways for for certain um, mental disorders and stuff. I guarantee you Joe Rogan doesn't give a fuck about using LSD to help cure schizophrenia. He supports LSD because he probably gets high on it a lot and thinks that's really awesome. You know, he talks to Alex Jones and Jordan Peterson because it becomes this hype machine that he then he benefits because everybody is tuning into his show to see, Oh my God, what crazy shit are are Joe and Alex going to get into? And it, it, it builds up the cult of Joe Rogan, you know, hearing that he was uh, there was a petition for him to be the moderator for 2020. I remember hearing that and being like, that's the most 2020 thing I've ever heard. Let's have this glorified reality TV show, thrill seeking, egotistical asshole be the one to try and like keep these two people who were fighting it out for the seat of the most powerful uh you know, nation on earth. Uh, 
Let's have this guy be the one. I'm sure he's not going to stir the pot. Well, and it's just his influence bothers me. Again, a lot like with Dave Ramsey. It bothers me. He endorsed Bernie Sanders during the primary. And Bernie Sanders touted this with some criticism. Yeah, there was there was a straight up petition that, hey, Bernie, you need to publicly denounce the Joe Rogan endorsement. I remember that. Yeah. So he endorses Bernie Sanders. And then when it comes time for the fucking presidential election, the Donald Trump campaign recirculates all this video of Joe Rogan talking about how mentally unfit Joe Biden is. And then at the end of the fucking day, he votes for Joe Jorgensen. It's just, it's, there's, there's, there's no through line to it. And if at the end of the day, you know, a lot of this sounds like hate, like haterade, like just me going like, oh, he's successful and I hate him for that. You know what? I don't actually hate Joe Rogan for his success. I like the idea that a person can just make a podcast where they talk to interesting people and make it a great thing. I think Mark Marin has done a beautiful job of that. I think Joe Rogan is the shitty version of Mark Marin's WTF podcast, which is a great podcast. I am just People like Slate journalist Justin Peters, and I'll link to his article in the show notes, have called the Joe Rogan experience, quote, an important node for the intellectual dark web. If you don't know what the intellectual dark web is, it is a network that isn't really like in any black market area. It's all perfectly accessible, but it is the network of information that appears on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and Parler and the blogosphere where shitholes like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and fucking Richard Spencer tout fascistic far-right ideas like they are common sense. Yeah. And they game things like the news and popular media to legitimize themselves. His show allows dangerous fascistic figures a place to outline their thinking to an enormous audience with an intellectually unequipped facilitator who gets so much credit for his nonpartisanship as their only check. Joe Rogan doesn't have the intellectual capacity or the education to address the issues with Jordan Peterson's misogyny or with Ben Shapiro's racism. He doesn't. He never has. He platformed Milo Yiannopoulos And thankfully, and Milo is the example we have that shows that deplatforming works. Because Milo is a little fucking baby Goebbels 
And I don't remember who called him that. Someone on Twitter called him that. And I am very apologetic that I don't remember who that is. Um, but fucking baby Goebbels has lost his career and lost so much of his influence because he has officially been deplatformed. But I'm willing to bet, like, if his people had enough conversations with Joe Rogan's people, he'd get invited back on the show. If it's if he had a pitch, if he had a book, if he had a thing to argue he had that would get clicks, Joe exactly. Rogan would let him back on. Right. He would do the thing again. I'm sure he and I didn't watch the Milo episode, but I'm sure they enjoyed that conversation. I'm sure Milo was just like when Milo appeared on the Bill Maher show, which I did watch that. He never said anything that was too extreme he never said anything that was so obviously abhorrent that the people hosting it needed to be like okay we're gonna have to cut this but he jutted up close enough to it using his charisma because milo is a very charismatic person um it's something he has that ben shapiro never will um he used that to get his ideas in front of people who wouldn't have ever encountered them otherwise. And it is fucking dangerous. I know ver- I know people whose intelligence I trust who tell me they love the Joe Rogan show and yeah. listen to it religiously. And that terrifies me. You know who doesn't hurt anybody? Adam Carolla. Um, you know what? Fuck Adam Carolla. Yes. Actually. Yes. No, fuck Adam Carolla. He's not a good person. He, but he's basically got the literal, um, same career as, as Joe Rogan. But Even, Adam, you know, Joe Rogan took over for Adam Carolla on the man show. I so. do. Yes. But Adam Carolla at least, uh, has that line in the sand where he, he won't, uh, he won't have Alex Jones on the show. He'll just go on Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> you know what? Fair. I just and 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 I'll give them this. Neither of them have the um, credibility of Dennis Miller, who at least is willing to go. Yeah, no, I sold out to conservatism for money. Um, so yeah, what are you gonna do? Fuck Joe Rogan. If you listen to his show, I beg you to stop. Please, for the love of God, I beg you to stop. He is not a good interviewer. He is not nonpartisan. He is a hack idiot who's espousing a line of comedy and thought that has been outdated for the better part of the last two and a half decades. Fuck him. Let him die in squalor. Shall we move on to our question? Couldn't have said it better. Let's go for it. (laughs) Okay. So you gave format. I will read then. This is coming to us from (sighs) relationships.txt. Title of this is my, the question asker, uh, 28-year-old male's wife, 28-year-old female, sent pictures slash videos of our bedroom activities to her sister, 31-year-old female. Throwaway account for obvious reasons. Me and my wife have been together for 11 years. 
married for four, and have two children. We have the usual fight now and then, but overall, we try to maintain a a healthy relationship. Her sister has been married for about 12 years with two children. She lives in a different town, and we all get along fine. About a month ago, I noticed my wife taking pictures and videos now and then of us in our private time. I didn't pay much attention to this, as she says she likes looking at these pictures and videos when I travel for work, which is in IT. Yesterday, I was setting up backups of our photos, videos, etc., of our phones and PCs, when I noticed there were duplications of the pictures and videos she took. After checking out why, I realized that the pictures and videos were shared on WhatsApp. When sending media, the original picture and video stay in your gallery and WhatsApp makes a copy of the picture and video and stores it in the WhatsApp images sent. Tracking this back, I found out that these were all shared with her sister. My wife and her sister are very close, and looking at the messages, it seems her sister's sex life had become very stale, and she reached out to my wife for support and how to, quote, spice up their sex life. After back-and-forth communication over a few days, her sister wanted to see how my wife does these sexual actions. My wife initially declined, but after a lot of begging, she relented. Her sister now uses the photos and videos as masturbation material. I have never ever been in a situation like this, and have no idea what to do. Should I even bring this up? Or sweep it under the rug? Me and my wife do communicate pretty good, But I don't even know how to start this conversation. My wife hasn't sent anything to her sister for about two weeks, and she messaged her sister to say that she will not send more. Andy, I think you said before we recorded that you already had an idea for a name lined up. I've I've got an idea. Um, You know, this, this is... We've already used Zach and Mary make a porno. So. We have used Zach and Mary make a porno. This this is borderline incestual. And oh, no. I can't think of sibling incest without thinking of uh, Jamie and Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Now, this oh, requires a, uh, a bit of gender bending, as, as we usually do. But I would say that our asker the uh male the husband writing this question for the purposes of my analogy is brienne of tarth the wife is jamie lannister and the sister who is masturbating to pictures and videos of her sibling have sex is cersei which i feel is appropriate brienne of Tarth. <laughs> I had to keep reminding myself, you are not a Game of Thrones guy, and I admittedly hate George R. R. Martin, but I read all the books, so. Uh, okay, so just so I understand, Brienne of Tarth is the husband who was asking. Yes. Jamie Lannister is the wife? Yes. And Cersei is the sister? Yes. Okay. I am literally emailing you the spelling of Brienne of Tarth that I just Googled because I don't know how to spell Brienne of Tarth. Okay. Perfection. So we have Brienne. We have her husband, Jamie, and Jamie's sister, Cersei. 
He's all right. Still has a lot to learn. I'm sure you'll teach. I read, would you like to start? Yeah. Uh, dear listener, I'm sure like me, you were listening to this and going, okay, this is... Hmm, there's some, oh, there's some issues here. Oh, this took a turn. Oh, this question took a turn. Um, so the first thing, very first thing off the bat, there is a massive consent issue here in that Brienne did not give consent because Brienne did not know that this was happening. And I place that squarely on uh, Jamie's shoulders. And I think Jamie knows that they did something wrong here. First, mm. because of my initially declining and then, you know, they gave in. And then if I'm understanding this, co- this question correctly, Brienne has not brought this up to their mm. wife. So of their own accord, Jamie was like, hey, I can't. I'm not doing this anymore. This this is wrong and feels weird. <sighs> I think so so here's the thing, Brienne. I think you need to have one awkward and uncomfortable opening of a conversation that's going to lead into a more awkward conversation, but the only way out is through. I think you need to fess up to being aware of the situation and you can do that in a way that is like, Hey, um, I want to apologize for this ahead of time, but I need you to know that I was backing up the phones and without really meaning to, I discovered all the WhatsApp pictures and I am fully up to speed on what you and your sister have been talking about. And I'm sorry for, stumbling upon that and that will lead into the awkward conversation and that is how you start that and bring that up you know um i don't think you sweep this under the rug because (sighs) even cutting out everything with cersei who it's it's hard to know if the quote, her sister now uses the pictures and videos as masturbation material. I don't know if that is assumptive or if that's confirmed. It's not really addressed in the question. One of those is certainly a lot worse than the other. Um, But even cutting all of that, Jamie did not talk to you. And that is not okay. Yes, it's awkward. In Jamie's defense, it seems like they were trying to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then gave in to sibling peer pressure. Mm. Um, But that feels really gross that your wife knowingly put in a, a spy camera and secretly filmed and she knew that this was happening and that you guys were being filmed having sex and you didn't that wasn't secret it wasn't secret brianne does say that he noticed the videos being taken oh you're right you're right and jamie said that it was for her own spank bank for when brianne is traveling 
Well, you're right. And I, and I, I forgot about that as I was getting worked up here. Um, mm. That's still a problem because now Jamie's just lying to you. Straight up. So Jamie is very much in the wrong here. Maybe even more than Cersei, although it is, it is objectively um, strange, if nothing else, for a a woman who admittedly is in a sexual rut and trying to get out of one. It is strange for that solution to be like, Hey sis, I need video. I, I, I need video evidence. I need to see you do it so that I can try to do it. That's strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would argue that Jamie is almost equally, if not more in the wrong in this situation and absolutely owes Brianna an apology and needs to pretty much like swear up and down that this is never going to happen again. And yeah, Alex, what do you got? Um, I mean, I agree with everything that you say. Um, I, I appreciate you mentioning the point about admitting upfront. Um, Hey, this is kind of a, thing that occurred in this way um the way that it ex- it's explained to me or the way that it's explained here as far as just like hey this is weird why are there multiple duplicates of this especially if there are duplicates of very sensitive material that very much makes sense to me as far as like investigating it because yeah holy fuck it's like porn of you guys um but owning that up front and then making that confrontation, I I want to do a little thought experiment. Um, Andy, if you will indulge me uh, taking you and our audience on an exploration of our own internalized misogyny. Yeah. So um, anyone who hears this story should be horrified. I want to ask everyone to participate in a little thought experiment, and I want you to take the three characters here. Not the characters as we've named them, but the characters as they appear. Right. Male Brienne, female Jamie, female Cersei. A husband, a wife, and the wife's sister. And I want you to change everyone's gender. Sure. Yeah, I was just thinking this. Yeah. So imagine, if you will that a wife is writing into us and is hearing from her husband. Oh yeah, no, I'm taking these videos just so I got something for, you know, when you're traveling for work. And then the wife founds out, finds out that her husband sent it to her brother. I don't know about you, But my cultural programming, and I'm very aware this is my cultural programming, hears that and goes, that is the beginning of a, of like a couple of different kinds of movies. That is, that is a scene from a psychological thriller slash horror. That is a, that is from a like horrendous divorce drama that is a scene from a lifetime movie where a person figures out th- where where a woman figures out that the person she married is terrible for her and she needs to get out of that relationship that is 
cleanly horrifying. And we might be programmed to think that it's less horrifying because it is a wife sending it to her sister. That's internalized misogyny. Right. That is that is our cultural programming going. Uh, that is our cultural programming messing with our view of the essentialness of consent at all times from all parties. Brienne, you need to confront Jamie about this. It is perfectly reasonable how you came across this information. And Andy is right. Jamie knows that she did something wrong. Jamie knows that it was not all right for her to send this. And Jamie can't take back the fact that now Cersei has video of you, Brienne, in a very compromised position that you did not consent to. You consented to being recorded and privately seen by your partner. And there are assholes out here who might be listening to the show who go, well, if you were recorded, what do you expect? Anyone can hack you. It's your own fault for recording you. And what I want to say to you, listener, kind, loving listener who thinks that in your head, fuck you. Stop listening to our show. It does not matter. Brienne consented to something very specific. And Jamie broke trust. And there is work that needs to be done there. I don't think this is unforgivable. I don't. But Andy's right. This absolutely can never happen again. You would be well within your rights, Brienne, to demand a confrontation with Cersei to demand that Jamie be the one to have that and to demand that that shit be deleted forever because it is illegal. It is ethically wrong. And that's your body, yo. This isn't okay. That's a betrayal. That is a deep fucking betrayal. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I was going to say. You know, There's a huge difference between... Uh, recording something consensually and a third malicious party finds that and, and steals it and distributes it and sees your body in that way versus one of the parties involved acting, if not maliciously, duplicitously and keeping their partner, their spouse completely in the dark about something that is so vulnerable and so personal. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point. And the, the shittiest part is I I don't think you can ever really know if uh, those videos are gone forever, but you can certainly at least have the confrontation and make the demand. And if your sister, uh, if you're, yeah, if your sister-in-law has any respect for you, um, that demand will be met. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. So this is a dark one. <laughs> this this was a dark one. I mean, I I was immediately interested in in tackling this issue. Um and you know, I'm glad we did. I think we raised some important points certainly. Um dear listener, I I you know, Alex had a good message for any of you who uh have shaky rules of consent. And I just want to make sure and follow up on that from the other way and make sure you know that your consent matters and anything other than your complete safety in a sexual situation and your enthusiastic agreeance to any issue or the sharing of any issue between you and a partner in that way, that is incredibly important. That is incredibly vital to your safety. And you deserve to stand your ground when it comes to embodying that consent. <sighs> so for once, I hope that we don't have any uh, follow-up questions where somebody can relate to this. But if mm. you do, you can send those in to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read it and we promise that we will handle it with the utmost respect and care to try and help you out through a, a difficult and stressful issue. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey mom. Um, and you can also, um, rate and, or review us on any or all of those. If you want to be nice, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. Um, we tweet funny stuff sometimes. We talk about various topics that we've already talked about. Um, we I, don't support uh, neo-fascist grifters. Uh, no, in fact, we frequently um, scream them down because fuck them. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can follow us there to keep up with whatever we're thinking about, talking about, uh, keep up with new episodes, the whole shebang. That's right. Um, you know, we we talked about uh, a really good movie, arguably one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. Um, and on my other show, Cult Fiction, I probably will never watch Logan, but I will probably watch some really awful cult uh, superhero film because that's what we do on Cult Fiction. You know, I'm probably going to watch Liam Neeson's Shadow Man at some point or Liam Neeson's oh Dark Man at some point. <laughs> oh god and you can follow on my journey uh through that with the incomparable stephanie johnson you can find cult fiction the same place alex said you can find this show and you can find me andy boel on twitter at jovocop2113 that's right and i'm at a underscore x underscore r-u-i-z on twitter and instagram and technically on tiktok but really Really, you should check me out on chess.com at AXRUIZ089. He'll kick your ass. Uh, I don't know. I've like two bourbons in at this point, but <laughs> we love you, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. As ever, please tell your enemies. Mm-hmm.